0: I'm excited to introduce to you Greg Baker. Greg Baker is the Executive Vice President of the Family Leader and Founding Director of Church Ambassador Network. Greg grew up in Earlham, Iowa, is a 2009 graduate of the University of Iowa. His inspiration to make a difference in government began in his high school years. His passion stemmed from the strategy necessary to pass legislation and to win elections. But Greg's pursuits in government were transformed by his acceptance of Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior in April of 2010. His focus took a sharp turn from self and political party to becoming an ambassador of Christ in the halls of government. Greg's spiritual journey and maturation meshed with the family leader's needs in July of 2011. Greg is charged with developing a dynamic network of churches and believers throughout Iowa to engage government in a manner modeled in scriptures rather than partisan politics. Greg and his wife Ashley were married in 2012, and as they shared, they live in Des Moines. And most of all, Greg is a partner in the gospel, and even more, he's a good friend. Let's welcome Greg Baker. Good
1: morning. Good morning. Good to be with you all in the Quad Cities. I... Uh, and make it out here almost monthly. This is such an important community in our state. And uh, I don't say this often, but it's not that I have favorites, but I I do have favorites in the state. There there are towns I prefer to visit more than others. This is one of the towns I prefer to visit. You guys got a great community here. But uh, come to know Ed now for almost 10 years. So I've known Ed for quite some time. Um, Ed's a great man. You guys got a great church here. You're very, very blessed. So, um, something I'm going to challenge you all to do with me today is: we're going to take off our American hats. We're going to try not to view government through the lens of our American experience, but our goal today is really to try to view government through the lens of scriptures. And what you're going to find is the God, the Word of God has so much to say about government, and the Word of God makes all of us uncomfortable. So some of your political beliefs could be challenged here this morning because that's what the word of God does. That's what happened to me oh, a little more than 10 years, I see 11 years ago now when I came to know Christ. Everything I thought I believed about, everything, relationships, finances, government, was transformed and turned upside down. And like the rest of you now, I'm a work in progress. Remember going to the... Um, Billy Graham Association in Charlotte. There's uh, the Reverend Billy Graham and his wife are buried there. And uh, the wife on the tombstone zone said that, uh, it says, work complete, thank you for your patience. And uh, she got that when she was driving down the road with Billy, and she saw this in a construction zone. And she said, Billy, I want that to be on my grave. And it's so true, so true. Work is complete, thank you for your patience. But um, let's start in a word of prayer. I'm going to share a little bit about myself, and I'm going to share what the Lord's taught me in government. And then in the next session, I'm going to kind of talk about what I, ta- what in the 10:45 class, and really go into what I do at the Capitol here in Des Moines and what we're teaching other states to do. Lord willing, someday Springfield, Illinois. But God, uh- <laughs> but God, thank you so much for this opportunity just to gather here at Pleasant View Church. God, I just thank you so much for this church. Thank you, God, just how you've used the people here, God, for many generations. We pray for generations from now that this church will still be reaching the people of this region. We pray that it'll be true all the way until the point of your return. We pray for many in this city to come to the knowledge of you. We pray for the unchurched in this city, God, to find room in this place. We pray for the unsaved to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light in this place. We pray the saints of the city would grow in maturity. But God, we take confidence here today that the good work you've begun in us, you will bring to completion. We just pray us all in the name that makes that possible. That's in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So my wife's joining me here today, Ashley. And uh, yet we do reside in Des Moines. Ashley's a graduate of Drake University. So we actually live in the... Drake neighborhood. If you've all heard of Drake before, it's uh, fun. It's one of the older neighborhoods of Des Moines. It's got a lot of life coming into it. Um, we both came to know Christ at the same church, Walnut Creek Church in Des Moines. Um, Ashley Wallace, she was attending Drake University me one year after I graduated from the University of Iowa. Uh, believe it or not, the University of Iowa is not pumping out the gospel. It's not something they like to highlight there. But there are many wonderful ministries there that are, though, many that are. One year after I left this, the salt company started there, and I just met with them recently. They have over 1,500 members in the salt network now at the University of Iowa. That's on top of the other ministries that already exist. The Lord is even working in Iowa City, yes. But, uh, yep, Ashley and I do not have kids. Um, We are in the adoption process right now with Lutheran Family Service. Uh, Carrie Smith here in this region is the one that assists that our our agency's licensed in Iowa, Illinois and South Dakota. Ashley's from Western Illinois, Macomb, so uh, Western Illinois University. So her mom spends some time up in Moline from time to time, doesn't she? But uh, our dog, Maddie's in the car, so there's an animal that's whining in the car. That, that's our dog. <laughs> we went up to Pike's Peak yesterday and we had to take her with us. We and uh, the next photo you see on the right, that's our community group at Walnut Creek Church. Ashley and I lead a community group. We have about. 30 folks in their low 20s and low 30s in that age range. Um, some of them brand new believers, some of them second generation Christians, but most of them first time believers. A lot of, uh, if you ever heard of Des Moines University, it's an osteopathic medicine university in Des Moines. We have a num- we're just about five blocks from there, so we have a lot of DOs that attend our community group. So we are, as you all hear with Chuck, we are all under fine medical care in our community group. And Ed talked a little bit about the ministry I work for. I work for the Family Leader Foundation. The Family Leader is uh, into two large entities, two major departments. One's uh, Elections and Policy. My counterpart, Chuck Hurley, leads that department. They work to help uh, born-again believers get elected into state government as well as they work on public policy in the state legislature. So issues such as the um, Iowa Heartbeat Law, if you remember that, passed a number of years ago. Our organization led those efforts. The Protect Life Amendment organization led. And uh, right now, Chuck Hurley is preparing a lot of the uh, cases before the Iowa Supreme Court. Something you might not know is that uh, right now in Iowa, and the United States of America, there's two major Supreme Court decisions on the life issue that can impact 20 plus years in the future. The US Supreme Court has not taken a look at the life issue since the 1990s. This is known as the Dodds case. State of Mississippi is the one that's petitioned it there. It's on a 15 week abortion ban, but it has the potential to overturn Roe versus Wade. Um, Experts expect some form of an overturn. The question is how much? But they do expect some changes. The one in Iowa is called Reynolds versus Planned Parenthood. It's around a 24 waiting period the state of Iowa's law requires. The governor's challenge it all the way to the Supreme Court. The Iowa Supreme Court two, rules, two years ago ruled a constitutional right to abortion. The goal is to overturn that ruling. That's also the reason for the, uh, the amendment. So Chuck Hurley and our team leads that. And I lead the church ambassador network. We're the ministry arm and the family leader. We regularly bring pastors to the Capitol year-round, pouring into our leaders in all three branches of government. And I'll go into more what that looks like after here, but we've seen God do some incredible things, open doors to people you would never guess, being able to pour into the word of people you never imagined, people being closed to the word that you wouldn't guess. Our God's not into behavior modification, as we know. I want to go into an overview of what we're going to be looking at today. First, we're going to take a look in the Bible of what is government, then we're going to take a look at who is the king. This is very important to understand in scriptures. Um, often our hindrance to understanding government from the Bible today is every person that leads government in the Bible is a monarch. Sometimes they've got a funny name like Pharaoh, but they're a monarch. Then we're going to look at Jesus as the shepherd king. That last song choice was fantastic for looking at that. And then we're going to do some practical application. How do we apply this today? So starting off first, what is government? We're going to take a look at Romans 13. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of those who are in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval." For government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because if it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Then first Peter 2, 13 through 14. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor, and this is Nero, as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. So what is government? It's an institution of gods. It's remarkable to think about, but but God instituted it. It was not the original plan of creation. God originally dwelled here, and God was king, and God was to rule it. It's a result of sin. When God left the world sense of order left with him. And what God gave us as human creation is government as a sign of his grace to bring some form of order on this side of eternity. The worst form of government in the world is not communism, it's not Nazism, it's not any of those things that we can think of in history. It's anarchy. People completely left to their sin nature, unchecked. That's the worst form of government. And government, like the church, takes many different forms. Think of all the different forms the church takes in the city where all the different people are worshiping this morning. God's government is in monarchies. It's in oligarchies. And when you look at the Bible, when God chose a government outside of himself for the people of Israel, he chose a monarchy, right? It's in constitutional republics. It's in democracies. It takes so many different forms. But at the end of the day, it's God's institution a gracious gift that he gave to people. When we get into heaven, we will not have popular elections. We will not be taking approval ratings. (laughs) Jesus will be king forever. There is no heir because there doesn't need to be an heir. What is government? It is an institution of justice. Its purpose is to punish evil, reward good. And how do you determine good and evil without God? You can't. That's why it's a heavenly institution. That is why the kings of old have always relied on guidance from the Lord's people. Whether it be the church in today's context, we think of men like Joseph and Daniel, who have been key strategic advisors to kings throughout history. And God, to this day, has advisors to kings all around the world giving them guidance to what is evil and what is good. And kings all around today, just like they did then, some of them listen to them and some of them don't. But regardless, government's job is justice. And how important is justice to God? We look to the cross. It mattered enough that Jesus had to die. God could have not just simply forgiven our sins. That's against his character. It could not be that simple. God is merciful and he desired to forgive our sins, but God is also fully just. Sin had to be dealt with, it's against his character. So the justice of God was poured out on the cross. Justice is an essence of his character and who he is. And he displays his character throughout creation. The character trait of justice is displayed in government. So when we as Christians say government doesn't matter, we're telling God justice doesn't matter. We can't talk about the cross without talking about justice. It's removing a huge component of the gospel. John Wesley says that if a person doesn't know how lost and doomed they are, How can they possibly know they're saved? That is a huge part of our gospel story. What is government? Here's something you don't hear often. It was created for our good. Government's God's servant for your good. Boy, this is a tough one for us. We we tend to fall in two ditches. Government's savior Government can somehow get rid of all the world's problems. There's not enough trillions of dollars in any country's budget to get rid of the problem that sin has caused. One side sees that, and then they go, you know what? Then government is bad. Government needs to be small. Government should be reduced. Government should be out of our lives as much as possible. Ronald Reagan said, the worst thing you want to hear is I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Jesus says that's wrong. Government's God's servant for your good. And what you're often seeing is you got two political parties in America today raging from those two ditches. And God says you're both off. You're both off. What is government? Here's something that's beautiful. Those who serve in government are God's ministers. Now, this is something very unique because the institution of the church, those who are in the church, the church by its very nature is a gathering of the Lord's people. It's not a building, as you all know. Those who are in the church are born-again believers, right? And those who serve in the church or ministers of the Lord of the church, they're believers. Otherwise, you're not actually in the church. You might be in a building that calls themselves the church, but you're not a church. What's remarkable about government Whether you believe in him or not, you're a servant of his. And we see throughout the scriptures, God carries out his purposes through these servants. And many of them had no belief in him. I am under no belief that Nebuchadnezzar had a miraculous conversion. He just made the God of Daniel one of his many gods. He just added him to his little trophy case. But God used Nebuchadnezzar. We can't deny that. And we see the king Darius as well. During Daniel's time, Daniel is a remarkable individual. He didn't only witness to four different emperors, he did the two different empires. Think about that. The government collapsed and he still kept working. And we get to see him interact with these four different emperors. And the Lord used those emperors for his purposes, every single one of them. We still see that to the day. Today, when you look at your legislators, when you look at your members of government, such as your mayors, your governors, all of them are God's servants. And he's going to carry out his purposes through them. He's going to. Our God is sovereign. So when I think about government, to understand government, you have to understand it's shepherd. And uh, we think about the church. The church is simple. The church has a shepherd. It's called a pastor. Pastor literally just means shepherd in Latin. That's all that that word is. It's Latin for Shepherd. And the church has shepherds, community groups, leaders, Bible study, like all these things are all shepherding. You're shepherding the Lord's people. Government too has a shepherd. And every time you read it in this book, it's a monarch, every single time. But the king is the historic shepherd of government. And this is some examples from the king from the Bible. We have Pharaoh, we have Caesar, we have the king of Nineveh, the emperor of Persia, the emperor of Babylon. King of Sodom, kings of Judah, kings of Israel, King Herod. The Bible's full of them. There's over 2,000 passages in the Bible that talk about the kings. That's unbelievable, 2,000 of them. And uh, so the big question we have to ask ourselves, who's the king today? Because when I look in the United States, I don't see a king, I don't see a queen. In England, I do. But they have a lot more than a queen today, right? queen's not making laws. queen's not commanding the military. queen's got a lot more limitations today. Who who is the king today? For a good chunk of the world, it still is one person. For the country of Jordan, still one person. But if you want to look who the power of the king is, you have to look who holds the six powers the king held. And I have a paper on the table outside that has all the powers of the king on it. And you could take these six powers and you can use it as like a little homeschool exercise. And you can take any country in the world and you can find out their king. So remember, our God is an international God. But you and I, the scripture says He chose the time and place of our birth. For whatever reason, we are here, the United States of America and the state of Iowa. Maybe some of you, Illinois. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But God loves Illinois, too. <laughs> the six cowards of the keener, lawmaker, CEO, chief judge, commanders of army, head of state, and lastly, the sovereign. And I want to take a look at these through Scripture and talk about who holds these powers today. So the first one, the lawmaker. We're going to take a look at Deuteronomy 30 for the law. See, today I sat before you, and this is Moses, Life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I'm commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, statutes and ordinances, so that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not listen, you're led astray to bow down to other gods and worship them. I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not live long in this land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. What's God's law? It protects us from the path of death and it leads us to the path of life. Good, righteous law is like a guardrail. The guardrail protects you from going off the cliff, but it also shows you where the road is. That's good law. And if a government passes good laws, that's what they should take into account. So how do you determine life and death? Well, that's actually what good and evil is. Evil doesn't exist. Evil is the absence of good. Just like darkness isn't real, darkness is the absence of light. Death is the absence of life. God's law has never been about right and wrong. It's not that simple. It's not as simple as God says, I'm right, you're wrong. It's deeper than that. The reason why it's right and wrong is God wants to protect his people from death. God hates death. Death was not a part of the design. Death is a result of rebellion. That's where death comes in. So the law, the law says this is the way to life. This is the way to prosperity. But there's a choice. You choose. You can choose life or death. And every day we wake up and we choose. And we choose with God's laws. We also choose with man's laws. If I drive... 80 miles an hour on this road here, the Bettendorf Police Department is going to have something to say about that. And I'm going to have consequences, That, and I should. Why? It is unsafe for me to drive 80 miles an hour here. I'm not only harming my own life, I'm also harming the life of others as well. God takes all those things into account. God loves life. Jesus, kings, you may have life and abundance. So that's the key part of the law. So who holds this power today? Say so we live in the United States of America. This holds in the Iowa legislature, holds in the U.S. Congress. We have 150 legislators in the state of Iowa, 100 representatives, 50 senators. The United States has 535, 435 representatives, 100 senators. All states send two senators, and uh, we send Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst, and then our state sends four members to the US Congress. It's based on population. This area of Congresswoman Marionette Miller meets of Ottumwa. And uh, you might saw on the news, we're going through redistricting, and all that's going to get shaken up, um, including our state legislators, going to have some changes as well. But the Quad City's send a good amount, of, a large number of a delegation to the state legislature. Uh, one I've gotten really close to from this area is Phyllis Thede. She served there for quite some time. I mentioned the Queen of England earlier. She doesn't have the power to institute law anymore because they gave that to parliament, to give you another example. Most governments in the world today have parliaments. That's the most common form of government. We have what they call a presidential system. The king was a CEO. And we're going to see Pharaoh carry this out in Genesis 41. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Today, this is the governor of Iowa and the president of the United States. The governor of Iowa oversees 25,000 public employees in 36 state departments and a $14 billion company. And we're a state of 3 million people. What does Illinois do? A lot more. I have no clue. (laughs) It's a lot more. The president, well, nearly a $4 trillion annual budget now. Good chunk of that borrowed. The chief judge. First, I'm going to talk about, um, remember when Paul appealed to Caesar after he went to the Roman governors and uh, king? He went to Caesar because Caesar is the highest court in the land, And I'm going to take a look at a story from Solomon here from 1 Kings. Solomon just became king, and Solomon's nervous. He's got some big shoes to fill. He's filling the shoes of King David. And we all know the story. God asked Solomon, what what is it that I can give you? I can give you anything in the world. What is it that I can give you? We're going to pick up here, 1 Kings 3 and 8. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too numerous to be counted. So give your servant an obedient heart to judge your people and discern what is good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now please the Lord that Solomon had requested this. His request was wisdom. So God said to him, because you requested this and did not last for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you ask discernment for yourself to understand justice. I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so there has never been anyone like you and never will be again. In addition, I will give you what you have asked for, both riches and honor, so that no man in any kingdom will be your equal during your entire life. Solomon's biggest concern was could he issue the judgments that his father David did. And there's a lot of pressure. You see, when you're in the court of appeals and you mess it up, there's a court above you that can fix it, right? Well, you're at the county court level down in Scott County Courthouse and you mess it up, there's another court that can fix it. But when you're the last court and you mess it up, it's just messed up. But with justice, remember, justice has the power to take a life. We no longer have the death penalty in Iowa. Why? We messed it up too many times. That's why. Neither does Illinois. Illinois messed up six times and they put a pause on it. When you mess it up, you could take an innocent life. Or you throw an innocent person in jail for 10 years you still had a great impact on their life, right? There's a lot of pressure to being a judge. Because when it's done, it's done. Solomon felt that. God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom for I can bring proper justice on these people. And he did. In 1 Kings 10, Solomon's getting a visitor, the queen of Sheba. And the queen she she came to see something in particular. She came to see Solomon's wisdom. Why? Word was spreading around the world about this king that always made perfect judgments. Solomon always got it right. So she came and she wanted to see Solomon. And she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your words and about your wisdom is true. But I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw it with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceed the report I heard. How happy are your men. How happy are these servants of yours who always stand in your presence here in your wisdom. May Yahweh your God be praised. He delighted in you and put you on the throne of Israel because the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to carry out justice and righteousness. God's eternal love for Israel is being put together with righteous judgment. Good justice is a sign of God's love. And not only is God's eternal love, how happy are your men? How happy are your people? The people rejoice when the righteous rule, the scripture says. People rejoice when justice is served. Nothing makes a city more unsettled when a guilty person is set free or an innocent person is unwrongly locked up. We long for justice. Even in our fallen nature, we know it's true. Because we are created by a just God. And the greatest blessing in the world anyone can have is a government that's just. Who holds this power today? The Iowa Supreme Court and the United States Supreme Court. They're the final say. Seven judges in the Iowa Supreme Court, nine judges in the US Supreme Court. US Supreme Court is appointed by the president, confirmed by the United States Senate. Iowa's is much more complicated. We have a a judicial nominating commission that chooses three individuals for one position, and the governor picks one of the three. How do we get the Judicial Nominating Commission? Half are appointed by the governor, half are appointed by the Iowa Bar Association. And then after their appointment in the first election, they face a retention vote by the people. The people vote yes or they vote no on whether they or not they want them. They vote yes, they stay for eight more years and face an election again. And they vote no, they are removed, and the process starts all over. I hope you all got that memorized. I'm going to be quizzing you at the end of this. (laughs) The U.S. Supreme Court's a lot easier to get, isn't it? (laughs) But that's what we do. We stole that from the state of Missouri, so blame Missouri. Commander of armies. This is one that um, I'm very fascinated with the scriptures revealed about a king's heart. We're going to take a look at King David here for commander of armies. 2 Samuel 18.2. And David sent out his army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of um, Abashi, son of Zariah. Don't judge me on this. I didn't go to seminary. Joab's brother and one-third under the command of Italiah the Gittite. And the king said to his men, I myself will go out with you. I myself will go out with you. This is a good king. A good king led his armies into war. When David got right before he got into relations with Bathsheba, what does the scriptures record? What happened right before that? Why all the other kings were doing what? That's right. Why all the other kings were off at war, he stayed home. What we see in 2 Samuel 18, this is not David's typical behavior patterns. Throughout the scriptures we see David leading with his armies, leading with his armies, leading with his armies. The armies were the most loyal people David had. You think about all those years fleeing from Saul, it was the army that was with him. But when David went off the rails, the first thing we see is he is no longer leading his armies. What's happening? David is no longer being a servant-minded king. He's no longer sacrificially serving his people. David is now in the heart, I am king, you go serve me. I am king, I see a beautiful woman, I am king, I get whatever I want. She gets pregnant, while I am king, we will take care of this. David became what we call a tyrant in that moment. Praise God, he repented afterwards, and he's restored, but he became a tyrant. One of the greatest servants that we see in the monarchs, what we see in the kings, is their attitude towards their armies. And as a pattern, we even see this in King David's life. Today, the governor of Iowa is the commander of the uh, Iowa National Guard, and then the president of the United States obviously is the commander in chief, and I need to update that picture because that's now President Biden. Mm -hmm. Head of state, this one's my favorite, and it's one of the most overlooked ones. When you look on your currency, what's on the front of it? President, right? Have y'all ever gotten a Canadian quarter before? Who's on the quarter? Queen Elizabeth, that is right. The head of state is the symbol of a nation. They're the example and the reminder of what it means to be a king. And what it means to be an American, what does it mean to be British? And of course Canada is still part of the British Commonwealth, so their head of state is still Queen Elizabeth. It has been for quite some time. It's the longest reigning monarch in British history right now. A pastor is told, shepherd the Lord's flock among you, leading by example. They say most of life is caught, not taught. The catching of someone's life is done in the realm of government through the head of state. The very first thing we learn about every single monarch of Israel is what kind of head of state they were. And you'll, if you've read First, Second Kings, or Chronicles before, you'll be used to this beginning. Nadab, son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Judas, King Asa. He reigned over Israel two years. Nadab did was evil in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his father and the sin he had caused Israel to commit. Every single monarch begins that way. He either walked like his father David or he did not walk like his father David for the kings of Judah. And for every northern kingdom king, he sinned like his father Jeroboam. And what's remarkable by this one scripture you and I can determine the entire rest of the story. Just by that, we know exactly what's going to happen. Not only do we know what's going to happen with that king, remarkably, we know what's going to happen with the people. The king goes astray. What happens? The people go astray. And there's an incredible recording with King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah brings them back. Then his grandson Manasseh, completely reverses everything. Some of the greatest atrocities done in all of Israel are done under Manasseh. It's the same people. And then Manasseh dies, and all of a sudden, Joshua becomes king, or Josiah, excuse me, becomes king. And it's the radical change from monarch to monarch. What is happening here? It's their example, their example. The sin he had caught Israel to commit. The life and example they live Matters. So when someone tells you the character doesn't matter of governing authorities, it matters extremely. The scriptures attest to it. And not only for the Israeli kings, take a look here in this book of Jonah. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne and took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. He must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he is doing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from burning anger so that no one will perish. And God saw their actions, they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them. And he did not do it. What's remarkable, this wasn't the heart of Jonah, the prophet of the Lord, that was sent there. We know later in the story he whines because God relented. It was the king, this wicked king, where God was angry enough that he's getting ready to judge the nation. So we think about what we learn from Israel. This king's probably given a really bad example. He's an unrighteous man himself, but it's the king. The king that hears judgments coming, he takes off his royal robes. What is that showing? It's showing humility. He repents in ashes. He's leading by example. Then after doing it himself, he asked the people to follow. He asked the people to follow. And they did. And God relents. He didn't do this by law. He didn't do this as a CEO. He didn't send out his armies and require it. He did as the head of state. The head of state's a crucial, I think, actually the most important position of government. It greatly impacts the nation. King George VI of England. This is Queen Elizabeth's dad. Winston Churchill credits King George VI as the person who's most responsible for winning World War II, and here's why. When b- bombings began in London, King George VI was asked to leave Buckingham Palace and he stayed. He says, if I'm gonna require Londoners to stay and be resilient, what message does it get sent to them with their king leaves? It shows all hope is lost. And when the bombings were getting out of control and it looked like London would be lost and it looked like the Germans were going to invade Britain and it was over, The king had these posters printed. You've probably seen them in pop culture. They're from 1940s. says, keep calm and carry on. He says, now, I want you to print these posters. He had 20,000 of them printed. He says, don't post them. Don't post them. This is when you're going to post them. When the German army is 20 miles outside of London and we're about to surrender our city. I want this to be my final message to the people. because The Germans are going to kill me. And you see the crown. This means it's an official message from his majesty. And he says, this is why I want them to remember. When it seems like all hope is lost, when it seems like darkness is won, you keep calm and carry on. He never had to display them. The Germans never did invade England. You know how that story ends. And they found these in the 1990s. Displayed away in an old war propaganda room. And it's been a pop culture saying ever since. But that message is actually a message of a head of state, inspiring his people to persevere in the war. Head of state matters. Today, the governor of Iowa holds that position in the president of the United States. Theodore Roosevelt famously called it the bolding pulpit, the pulpit of the nation. Character matters extremely in the White House. Don't let anyone tell you differently. You are the Lord's salt of the earth. Character matters in the White House. The sovereign. This is what the king of of, um, King Cyrus of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Who ultimately owns the place? That's what sovereign means. The king today in the United States of America is we the people. That's how our Constitution starts. We are the ones who ultimately own our government. That's why every two years we vote. That's why we exercise our sovereignty. But we don't get to pass laws. I didn't get to set the speed limit here. It's not our face on the front of the money, and you have no control over the military. You are one fraction of the king. Sir Francis Asbury is a Methodist minister that brought um, most of what we see as the Methodist Church um, in its early history to the United States of America. Um, He is credited for raising up 4,000 pastors in the 1800s, planting churches all around the Midwest, and is seen as one of the main ones that really started the evangelical movement as we know it today in the United States of America. And America's 100th birthday a statue was dedicated to Sir Francis Asbury. Why? Because the people before knew that the only reason why this republic had survived is because of the Church of Jesus Christ. You see, every now and then, a king would have a good son, and he'd have a good 40 years. But under constitutional republics, the greatest fear was that if a wicked people are constantly choosing their leaders, they would always be wicked. So our founders understood the only way this republic could work is a church that is vibrant, living out the Great Commission. So that the people were governed by the Holy Spirit as opposed to the arm of the law. So that's why on 100th birthday they dedicated not to a president, not to George Washington, Sir Francis Asbury, by one of the most famous pastors in U.S history. And I'm just about on time here, so I want, to, but I don't want to skip this part. Jesus is the shepherd king. Jesus is the king of kings. Scriptures makes that very clear. As the Lord of lords, the government rests on his shoulders. And Paul says famously, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Why? As a pastor, he understood he could never be the perfect pastor. Jesus was as the head of the church. If our kings are going to be the kings they need to be that God's called them to be, they must imitate the king of kings. He's the only one to do it. Perfectly. John 10, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it in an abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired man and doesn't care about the sheep. And here we see three different types of leaders, a hireling, a thief, and a shepherd. In the realm of government, the hireling's a politician. They're there simply for a job. They'll do whatever it takes to make the people happy. They don't care what's best for the people, they care about what's best for them being happy. Why? Because happy people equal happy employment. This is a really hard government to lead in because the people vote every two years. And good decisions can take decades to see the fruit of. And the people punish you for it. Think about a poor Moses had to go up for election every two years in the middle of Mount Sinai. He would not have won one re-election. That's what we do to our governing leaders in America, Require them to go up every two years. Thief, that's the tyrant. They're there for power. They want to do whatever it takes to take their power and impress it on other people. The last one's a shepherd, it's a statesman. These are the individuals that put the lives of other people before their own. They're the ones that say, even if these people punish me and vote me out, I'm going to do the right thing anyway. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus didn't wait for the people to properly support him before he died for him. They mocked him and ridiculed him and spit at him and scoffed at him even today. That's when he died. That's a shepherd. That's the shepherd king. The king of kings didn't live in a palace in Rome. The king of kings was born in a manger and a feeding trough in the armpit of the Roman Empire, died on the cross. That's a king. It defies our understanding of a king, but that's a king. That's a king. So, practical application remember the king matters but only one king's savior. But the king matters a lot. Two, be a light in this nation. And how? Honor those in authority. I want to talk about something rare today. If you did not vote for President Biden, he's still President Biden. If you did not vote for Donald Trump, he was still President Trump. Honor those in authority, that's so rare. The Bible commands you to. Pray for those in authority and submit to those in authority. Our God is a God of order. You want to live in opposition to today's culture, honor, pray, and submit. And lastly, choose well. Know the full responsibilities of the king. It's not always easy. We're voting in a flawed world. Nobody often holds all of it. But know well. And in that, it's remembering character matters. It matters a lot. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for this time here. God, thank you for each of these saints. God, I pray us, give us wisdom to live in these days. We want to be a light for your people in these days. We pray for many to come to the knowledge of you. We pray for Governor Reynolds. We pray for President Biden. You give him wisdom to lead our state and nation at this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.